Wow, a crowd of people to talk to. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And so, so many of you are online watching us. And uh, this, this is the first time in four months that I've preached to live people. In four months. And so you've got to understand, I've got some stuff pent up inside of me for today. And I want to say, if you don't mind, I want to just have a pastoral talk with you before I even get started. Uh, this morning because I feel like there's a few things I've been wanting to say and haven't had a chance to say. First of all, thank you for coming to church. And I know, I recognize, and all of you that are watching us online, listen, there is no shame in not coming to church right now. I totally understand why a person would stay home, uh, especially if they're health compromised or they're elderly. But I just, just for the sake of the people watching us, because I know a lot of people watching us don't know what it looks like in a sanctuary this size with this many people in our church, how we do social distancing in a mega church. We have about 18,000 people in this church, and certainly not all those people are here. We just have a very small percentage, maybe 5% of the church that's here in this service, or 2% of the church that's here in this service. But what I started thinking through this, I said, there's one thing that's different between watching online and being in the building, and that's the worship experience. The teaching experience is the same, but the worship experience is completely different. I have not worshiped live in four months, and I'm telling you, I didn't want that to stop. I just wanted to, you know, forget preaching. Let's just worship God. Amen? But would all of you just stand up for a moment, just all stand up for a moment, and if we could, just for a moment, just for just a second, I'm not going to... And, and if we could just pan, pan the sanctuary just for a moment so everybody online, wave to everybody online, just wave to everybody so you can kind of see what it looks like in a socially distanced. Now, people that are sitting next to each other are family members. They know each other. They've been living with each other, so they don't have to social distance. So just so you don't get excited about that. But we have everybody six feet apart. You have to have your temperature checked. You wear a mask, all those things. To be honest with you, to be on, you can sit down now. To be honest with you, it's actually safer in this environment to me than going to a grocery store uh, because not everybody in a grocery store wears a mask and certainly not everybody social distances and we don't do any touching or anything like that. And so, and we cert- they don't check your temperature at a grocery store. They don't do any of those things. And yet you all, all of you go to grocery stores and bring that stuff right back into your house. And so, you know, you have to, at some point you have to have faith. And here's the good news. Now, in a church of 18,000 and a large church, 142 different nations, you would think that we've had some, you know, real challenges with COVID-19 in our, in, inside our body. And we've had a few members that have had COVID-19. We have had. And, and the good news is we've not lost a single member to death in COVID-19, not one single member. Now, we've had, to be clear now, we've had members who have relatives that have, have gone on to be with the Lord. Um, a lot of them in other states, some of them in New York, where a lot of the tragedy took place at the very beginning of COVID-19. And we're fully aware that COVID-19 is on the rise right now in the state of Georgia, as well as across the United States, in Florida, and so on and so forth. And so we're very, very keen to that. And we know that there are pastors who've made statements, public statements, that they're not coming back till uh, the beginning of next year, if, if then. And, and, that, and that is perfectly fine. I don't have any problem with that if, if a church wants to do that. We just feel like at some point, for those of you that are watching us online and will be watching us online, maybe until you feel safer uh, in the environment, we feel it's, it's a better message uh, that comes across when the pastor is actually preaching to people in a room. It is very difficult, just so you understand, it is very difficult just talking to a camera and feeling what you, know, what you want to say is not really, nobody's 
You know, this is one of those feedback churches. <laughs> By the way, I, I know it's not a big crowd here, but can you give me some feedback this, this morning? Could you just give me some feedback? <laughs> I need feedback. I've been longing for feedback for four months. Those cameras just don't give you any feedback. And usually the feedback you get is posts that they don't like you, they're criticizing you and all this kind of stuff. Why are you coming back into the building? Why haven't you come back into the building? All these kind of things. And so just, just please, all of you that are part of Victory, have grace on the church. We, we are behind the scenes talking through these things, talking with other churches, talking with other leaders, trying to do this the best way we know how. And there's not only the tension of COVID-19, but you have the financial tension that's created by that where there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs and are unemployed, on top of the fact that we have this incredible racial tension now in our nation that is played out, especially here in the city of Atlanta. And then you, you just have, you know, just this, this whole political tension that's out there. We have an elect. Did y'all know we have an election this year in November? And Lord knows what that's going to look like when we get to November and once a a decision is made who will become our next president, how that's going to play out in our nation. So for me, I don't know about this for you and maybe for you watching online, for me, it feels, it may not be, but it feels like the beginning of the end. Does it not? I mean, it's just like I've never, in my life, I'm 62 years old, I have never experienced this many things all happening at one time. However, the good news is, we have a God who is greater than all of these things. We have a God that's greater. Now, if you don't know God, if you don't know God, I don't know how you're going to make it through this because this is very difficult. What we're going through is a very difficult season of life, and every one of us has different challenges. Some are more severe than the others, but they're all different. And the reality of it is, and this is why we're doing this series called Greater, is we have to really learn how to to focus on who God is when all these other voices are trying to bring us down, trying to oppress us, depress us, create environments of negativity and so forth to the point where you start losing your faith in this greater God. Amen? So I want to start off, uh, first of all, I want to read a scripture. By the way, I just want to make one other announcement before I get into the scripture. Uh, this, This season, while it's been difficult, has been a good one in the sense that for the first time, I've had a little bit of extra time. So I did complete, finally complete the book one, which is Healing the Racial Divide. It is now in print. It's going to print. And hopefully it will be out by our August 16th transition service here in about a month. We'll have it in print. We'll have it ready to, ready to sell. And you guys can get that book. Amen. And so I'm excited about that. This is, this is I think it's a pretty timely book. Would you all agree for the season that we're currently in right now. I did a lot of research. We did a lot of, uh, just a lot of, you know, stories, a lot of stuff in this book that is part of Colleen and my life that we've lived for the last many, 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 many years since we've been saved. So hopefully this will bless you and it'll help start the journey. And uh, we've been filming videos for small group curriculum. There's been a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. So we're not just sitting home, you know, watching TV. We, we are working. In fact, I will say for most pastors that I know, we're working harder now than we were before because there's so much more you have to do behind the scenes. All right, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to read a verse of Scripture that kind of sets the tone for where we're at. Now, again, I want to remind you, um, I'm really aware that we are living in a very critical time. Now, whether this is the end times, I mean, you have all, anytime you have difficult times, 
there will always be prophet people coming out saying this is the last days, these are the, these are the end times. Can you imagine what they must have said during the days of Hitler in World War I and World War II? I'm sure they thought Hitler's the Antichrist, the end of the world's coming, economic depression, all these kind of things. So there's, you have to understand that we weigh out end time thinking through the lens of God, not necessarily through the lens of our circumstances. Amen. But when you read the scriptures, it's very clear that God gives us some pointers towards what to look for and then how to respond when these things start to happen. So let me just read the, the reality of, of what it looks like. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing the letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy. By the way, 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul ever wrote before he died. It's his last letter, his last will and testament, if you will. So he wrote this in Rome while he was in prison, and this is his last epistle, even though it's not in the order of all his epistles, it is his last epistle. So I want you to, I want you to pay close attention to what he says, because I think it'll... And this, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified, because I think it really kind of says it well. It, so if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along with the scriptures online. It says here, but understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come, difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused. Know anybody like that out there? Lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness, religion, although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. Well, I wish that were possible to avoid such people. But it's not possible now with social media, with the news, with television, with internet, with interaction with people. We are going to interact with people like this. So Paul's writing this letter. He, he, he doesn't know specifically what the end times looks like in our modern time because he's looking at it through the lens of his time, you know, some 2,000 years ago. But he's certainly seeing ahead and he's seeing how society falls apart, how society comes to this place where it's just completely falling apart. Everything is just crumbling. And people are turning against each other. Uh, generations are turning against each other. Polit politics turn against each other. Races turn against each other. All these different kinds of things. And I think it doesn't take a, a scientist to, to figure out that we seem like we're in that time. It feels like that time, whether it is or not. We can't say for sure I'm not a prophet, but I can just say this. When I read the Bible, it certainly gets my attention when I read those scriptures because it makes me say, okay, that feels like what we're in right now. It feels like where we're in right now. So what do we do with that? How, as a, a follower of Christ, do I respond to a world that's gone crazy, to a world that seems to be imploding in front of me faster than I can keep up with it? So here's... Peter comes along and writes another letter. And Peter, this is Peter's last letter. And as he starts talking, he also addresses the end times. And here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 7. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified again. He says, The end 
and the culmination of all things is near. Now, if it was near 2,000 years ago, would you all agree it's probably a little nearer now? Therefore, be sound-minded and self-controlled. Sound-minded. Let's say it. Sound-minded and self-controlled. Come on, home. I want you to say it too. Sound-minded and self-controlled. That means in every area of your life, especially on the internet. Sound-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer, staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication, when you communicate outwardly, will be clear, reasonable, specific, and pleasing to Him. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Clear, reasonable, specific, and pleasing to Him. But above all, everybody say above all. Above all, have fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks unkindness and unselfishly seeks the best for others. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now, it's very clear what Peter is saying, the apostle, the the chief apostle of apostles, and Paul was warning this is coming, and then Peter says, here's the response to that. He's saying, when you see these things happening, be clear, be be responsible, be calm, don't, don't re- react in anger, don't be one of these kind of people that just spews off at the, at, at, like everybody else. You're different. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation who's been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You are a reflection of who Jesus is. You're an ambassador of Christ to a lost and dying world. Do you understand that? We stand in the precipice of this moment right now where we are the reflection of Christ to the earth. We are not to blend in. We are not to be like everyone else. We are to be a different kind of people. And he says the different that makes you, that what makes you different is this unfailing love, this greater love that you exhibit to a world that the world doesn't understand. And it's not a feeling of love. It's not some emotion. It is a gape love. It is God's greater love. It's a higher order of love that humanity cannot enter into until they come into relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot come into this this ability to walk in this love, this revelation of love under any other religious precipice, any other thought process, any other new age thinking it doesn't function outside of Jesus because only Jesus is the direct incarnate reflection of the love of God. All right, that's where the concept of greater love comes in. We have entered into a season of difficulty in our world. What, there's a few of us who have seen this before. Have, have, we've never seen this before. And this is, this is happening right in front of us and we didn't expect it to happen in our lifetime, but now it's happening. All right. What do we do with that? All right, so I started thinking through this process, okay? The big question is, how will God's people respond? Now, here's the scripture. John chapter 13, this is Jesus' word to the church, and these are some of his last words to the church. And here's what he says in verse 34. He says, let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I've loved you, 
You love one another in the same way I love you, you love one another. This is how everyone, everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. This is how people will know that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. All right, right here. He's saying the defining characteristic of a follower of Christ is not how much faith you have. It's not how much you know the scriptures. It's not how many Bible verses you can quote. It's not how many prophecies you can spout off. It's not how much you attend church. It's not how much you read the Bible. It's not how, much, how many you know, Christian stickers you have on your car, turn or burn. It's not how many fishes you have on your business. It's not about any of that. Are you following me? None of that tells people you're truly a follower of Jesus because everybody's seen all of those things and then they've seen you live a different life. What they want to know is how do you handle people in response to when they don't treat you well, when things are not going well, when you're not doing well? How do you walk in love? He says this one thing. This is what he says, the one thing that distinguishes you from everyone else in the world, the one thing that identifies that you are a true follower of Christ, that separates you from everyone else in the world, the one thing that creates real change in the world is your ability to reflect reflect the love of God, not just to your family, not just to your friends, but to everyone. Can I get a bigger amen? amen? Amen. All right. Let me ask you a question. You, you haven't heard me ask you this in a while. Let me ask you, how you doing with that? How you doing with that, all you watching online? How you doing? That? If, I, if I go on your Facebook, your Instagram, your TikTok, whatever you have, if I go on any of that, Snapchat, will I see a person who's reflecting the love of God or will I see somebody who's reflecting the regurgitations of the world? Which will I see? When I'm interacting with you and things aren't going well with you, How do you respond to me, especially if I offend you? If I offend you, how do you respond? Do you respond in love or do you respond with the typical response that everybody else in the world responds to? Do you live with bitterness, anger, frustration, agitation? Or do you live in this place of peace where you know that regardless of what's going on around you, you are a reflection of Jesus in the earth? You are the only Jesus many times that people will ever see visibly. All right, I, have, I don't know about you, but I have challenges with this. Do you have challenges with this? Boy, do I have challenges with walking in love, with this greater love, because I'm telling you right now, there's not a day that goes by that something doesn't happen that offends me. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody pulls over in front of you, and you start... There is no reflection of love coming out of your mouth and your heart. But nobody knows what you're actually saying except for God, right? But you want to, you, you know, you want to roll down your window. You want to do something a little bit more violent than that. But you, you know you can't because you're a Christian. So you just mumble to yourself how frustrated you are with these crazy people driving, Right? Are these crazy people in the grocery store? Are these crazy people at work? Are these crazy people that I'm married to? Gosh. All right. All right, how do you get there? How do you get to this level of greater love? Now, I'm not saying I'm there. I'm not, I'm not in any way saying I'm there. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've been trying to get there. How many of you want to get there? You may not be there yet, but you want to get there. 
All right, I'm celebrating my 40th year of following Christ this year. It's my 40th year. <laughs> I think it's ironic that I'm transitioning at 40 years. God does things in cycles of 40 years. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm thinking through this process in order to be a true follower of Christ. How do I get this greater love constantly operating in my life? So I've, I found out this one thing. It's a process. It is not an overnight thing. You don't suddenly become saved and you mature in love like that. When it talks about working out your salvation daily, he's talking about maturing in the love of Christ. Working out your salvation means that you're maturing. You're not mature when you get saved. You have to process that salvation. Now, you're saved, meaning that you, you, can, you, you have a relationship with Jesus. Your sins have been washed. That's an instantaneous. But your salvation experience living out on the earth is a process. And, and the way it processes with Christ is how you mature in love. Let me say that again. The way your relationship with Christ processes is how you mature in love. All right, so let's go through the process. Let me give you the first step process. The first thing, and write this down, the process of great love is self-love. Now, for, before you even go there, let me just say, that I'm not talking about narcissism loving yourself. I'm not talking about all about me kind of love. I'm not talking about, so don't misunderstand that. I'm talking about a love that the Bible talks about in the scripture, and I'm going to read it to you right now out of Matthew chapter 22. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus answered him saying, love the Lord your God. He was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? It says, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you, this is the great and supreme commandment. Would you all agree with that? That's the great commandment. Now, I would like to say, I would like to say I do that. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. There are seasons, moments in my life where I could not, I, would, I wouldn't say I did that. I would say that I go through struggles sometimes, not so much loving God, but just loving the world along with God. How many of you like that? All right. And he's saying with all your passion, with all your strength, with all your thoughts, in other words, you pour yourself into God. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. The way you're going to love people comes from that kind of love you have for God. All right. Once you start developing that kind of love for God, Something begins to shift on the inside of you that allows you now to love people. Now, look, look what it says here. Here's what it says. It says, this is the great supreme commandment. And the second, everybody say second. The second is like it in importance. You must love your friend or your neighbor, another translation says, in the same way, because they may not be your friend. You know, there's a lot of scriptures about loving enemies. In the same way that you love, what? Yourself. Contained within these commandments to love you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophet. All right, so he said these two commandments, everything hinges on these. If you do these two, you'll fulfill all the Ten Commandments. All the Ten Commandments, all the laws, all the different things. You'll fulfill them because when you love God with all your heart, all your passion, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and then out of that love that you have for God comes a love not only for others, look at this, but for self. What I mean by that is not, again, not narcissism, not being in love with yourself. It means that you are confident, listen to this, 
that you are loved. You are loved. Now, what God said to me about self-love is it's important to understand the difference between self-love and selfishness. All right, so listen to the difference. The selfishness. Selfishness is loving yourself more than you love others. It's a very simple definition. Loving yourself more than you love other people. This is what causes the majority of relationships to fall apart, selfishness. If you look at a marriage that falls, is falling apart, if you have a marriage that's falling apart, if you're watching and you have a marriage that's falling apart, here's what I know. At the core of it is selfishness. Now, I'm sure it's not you that are watching. I'm sure it's the other person that's not watching right now. But maybe it is you. Who knows? It's usually two people. And selfishness is at the core of every broken relationship. It's at the core of every broken marriage. It's at the core of what Satan uses to divide people. Selfishness. I love my opinions, my ways, my thinking, my wants, my desires more than I love other people. And when you put yourself in front of other people, that's called selfishness, all right? Now, self-love is an overflow of knowing you are loved. You are loved. Now, the problem is, not all of you grew up feeling loved. Not all of you grew up feeling loved. Some of you grew up in families. I grew up in a family where I knew my mother loved me, but I didn't know my father loved me. In fact, can I just tell you, all my life, and it's, it's something I had to learn to overcome and, and work through, I never heard my father say, I love you in my life. My father abandoned our family when I was a young kid, a little baby. I never saw him for several years, and then when I, he came back into my life, he didn't come back as a father. He came back more like a brother. We never had a loving relationship, and what it produced in me in early stages of my life was not self-love, but self-hatred. And I discovered over time that self-hatred is at the very core of bitterness, anger, frustration, addictions. Anybody you see addicted is self-hatred. They, they hate themselves. Internally, they hate themselves. Anybody that you see that's constantly agitated, anybody that you, that you see that can't get along with people, if you struggle with those things, it's because you hate self. You don't understand how God loves you. Because you reflect the love of God based on how people love you instead of how God loves you. Now, let me just tell you something. No person can love you like God can love you. No human being. And let me, if, you, if you could just do me a favor, if you, could just, if you want to live at peace with yourself a little bit better, lower your expectations on people and put your high expectations on God. I think the problem is we have this high expectation on people and low expectations on God. And the difference between what you expect people to do and what you really have, that is, your de that is the degree of frustration and, and things that you're living with all the time. This difference between what you want and what you have. Are you following me? If you can shift your heart away from me, 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 this empty void that's created when you don't have people loving you, to God loves me no matter who is in the earth is against me because God is for me. It doesn't matter. God is my Father. This is how Jesus made it to the cross. And he says to us, abide in my love. As I abide in my love, my Father's love, you abide in my love. 
In other words, I'm making it to the cross because I know even though what's happening does not look good, what I'm about to go through, and it feels like maybe God doesn't love me, I know for a fact that my God, Father, I am a part, He's a part of me, loves me unconditionally, and He loves me so much, He's willing to sacrifice me for the sake of millions and billions of people in the earth because He's going to raise me from the dead, and I have to look forward past the cross for the sake of people. Are you following me? You and I are a byproduct of how much we know we are loved. The world is hungering for love. You, you, what's, what's the racial tension about? You want me to tell you what the racial tension about is? Let me tell you what it's about. It's very simple. A large percentage of black people, not all black people, but a large percentage of black people have grown up in this nation not feeling white people love them. Did you hear what I just said? They, don't, they, they, they might tolerate them. They might work alongside them. But the larger percentage, not all black people. Some black people had different experiences, but a large percentage have grown up. That's what this tension's about from black people. I don't feel loved. I'm in this country, but I don't feel loved by this country. I don't feel loved by the people that founded this country because they founded it on my back. And... And were willing to sacrifice me for themselves. That's historic. And we have to overcome that. And a lot of white people don't get that. We just don't get that. What's wrong with you? I don't get that. Really? You don't get that? What about immigrants? What do you think immigrants feel? Do you think immigrants feel loved by Americans? Oh my gosh, many people who've come into this nation, especially from the Latino countries or African countries, they don't exactly feel welcomed into America and loved by Americans. Are you following me? In fact, they feel the opposite. They feel the opposite. And I will just say this, I'm I'm, I'm an equal opportunity guy. White people, listen to me, don't necessarily feel loved by black people. They don't feel it. They're not feeling it right now. I'll tell you that right now. They are not feeling it. Are you following me? <laughs> you can just go on down the line. Democrats are not feeling loved by Republicans. Republicans are not feeling loved by Democrats. Would you all agree with me? And you just go on and on and on. And just Our nation is a nation that's full of hatred and bitterness and strife and discord. And here we are in the middle of this. And if we don't understand how much we are loved, we'll get caught right up in it. So you have to find who God is and love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then you have to receive the love for him that he has for you so that you can love others, look at this, as much as you love yourselves. Amen? All right, self-love. That's a starting point, and you can't go any further if you don't get that down. The second one is relationship love. And the relationship, relational love, let me just see this. Let me just say this about relational love. You will never understand relational love until you understand self-love. You're going to always have struggles with relational love until you get this part down that God loves you. It's hard to love people who aren't loving you back until you know you're loved by God. But when you know you're loved by God, freely you receive and freely you give. Not based on their earning capacity. Did they deserve it? Did they do something to to, to deserve it? 
And you understand that. All right, now let's, let's read out of the Scriptures. John chapter 15, here's what Jesus says about this kind of love. Verse 12, so this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you for the greatest love. Everybody say greatest love. The greatest love of all is, is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. Sacrifices his life for his friends. Now, we just lost a, a, a civil rights icon, John Lewis, we, we, just this weekend. Many of you know John Lewis, a represent, state representative for Georgia. Civil rights uh, era walked, marched with Dr. King. And people that are maybe on the Republican side don't understand, they don't quite understand John Lewis's politics, why, why he believes like he does or where he, where he came from. But they do understand that he was, a, he was truly a great man, a great leader. But what made John Lewis so, so big in life, what made him, what marked him, was in 1965 when he was marching with, 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 with many people marching with Martin Luther King, and, the, and, the, and the, the video played out. It was interrupted. People were in movie theaters. People were watching it, and it interrupted, saying there's it's been a riot. There's been a breakout. And it showed police beating, white policemen beating black people. And John Lewis was down on his knees like this with a trench coat on and a backpack on, and there was a policeman just beating him with a rock, just beating him with this, this baton, beating him senseless, almost killing him. And you ask yourself, why, why would a man put himself in that position? Why would a man, knowing going into this thing that he was probably going to get hurt, because he'd already been hurt many times before, and he probably was going to get hurt many times after, he would go to prison many times for things like this. Why would a man do that? Because he loved his people more than he loved himself. Did you hear what I just said? He loved... He loved black people and the rights of black people more than he loved the safety of his own life. And I, I can't illustrate that any differently because that, that's what made him famous. From that point on, you, it's pretty hard to talk to a person like that and dog him or talk ne- negative about a person like that. Even if you don't agree with their politics, you cannot, you cannot agree with their politics, but you don't dog a civil rights hero who laid down his life for black people. Are you following me? Now, now, black people get that. White people are starting to get that. Asians are starting to get it. They're starting to get that. But you understand, what made him do that? What made him do that was the love of God that he had inside of him. He was a Christian. He was a born-again Christian. In fact, he was studying for ministry at that time. He was studying to be a pastor. What made him do that was he recognized, I can't go violent. I can't go violent. I have to take this because I know this image is going to play out, and eventually it's going to create some kind of dynamic and change, which it did, which it did. Right after that, we, we, Lyndon Johnson made an edict that the black people could vote, and all these kinds of things started shifting when they saw those images on TV. All right, now, let's, let's put that in our modern day right now modern day <clears throat> what are you willing to do to sacrifice for others what are you willing to do to sacrifice for others the god the question that god asked me years ago are you willing to sacrifice your life 
by losing relationships and possibly success for the sake of doing what's right when it comes to people who are different than you? Are you willing to pastor a church that once was white and is now most, mostly another race, uh, mostly black and, some, and Hispanic? Are you willing to do that? Are you, are you willing to say what the truth is in the word? Or are you going to say what people of your race want to hear? What, are you going to say what they want to hear? Because that will build a crowd for you. It will make you feel better. It will make your crowd feel better. But will won't be the truth. And, and are you willing to, to live your life in such a way that you can truly say, I'm willing to sacrifice for other people? Greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for another. All right? That, that happens in everyday life. You understand that? That's in marriage. This is why all you single folks that are watching, this is why a lot of you don't get married. No, you know. Because you have to move from selfishness to now sacrificial love. You have to shift from all be, being all about me to now being about another person. And, and, and we all know when you're 18, 19, 20, you're not quite ready for that. You know, I'm not ready to do that. I'm still enjoying my life. You're, you're, you know, I'm not ready to have babies. I'm not ready to have family. I, I'm, I'm enjoying my life. I want to do what I want to do. Well, what, what have, you oft, have you ever asked God, well, what, what do you want me to do, God? Not what do I want to do. Not where do I want to go, what I want to experience, what I want to have in life, but God, what do you want? And what if God were to say to you at 22, I want you to be married. And I want you to, I want you to start a family. And you say, well, no, God, I just got a lot of things I want to do. I want to travel. I want to have fun. I want to enjoy my life. I want to buy a nice car. I want to enjoy. I don't want to tie myself down. Oh, okay. Just don't tell people you're a follower of Christ. Don't tell people you're a representative representative of Christ because what representative of Christ is saying, God, I want to do whatever you want to do in my life, whatever you will for my life. And sometimes he might say, I want you to stay single. Some people want to be married and God wants them to be single because he has something to do with for them while they're single that they couldn't do if they were married. And they're so anxious to be married, they just cast all that off and get married to somebody they shouldn't get married to. And it just completely ruins their life. Are you following me? But here's what I know. I'll just finish this little point up. When I got married to my wife, Colleen, I had no idea. I had no idea what this sacrificial love looked like. In fact, the first five years of our marriage, I was fighting for my rights. Come on, somebody. I wasn't ready to give up anything. I wasn't ready to give up any. I was thinking this is going to be great. I'm going to have all these things, the benefits, without any other responsibilities. And it didn't work that way, does it? Those of you that are married, no, it doesn't work that way. That's why marriage, I believe, is the greatest teacher of relational love. I believe it's the greatest teacher of it. Now, we haven't all done well in that. Some of us had not made it in marriage because we didn't understand that. But what I know is the best marriages are the, the best marriages are the ones where the people sacrifice for each other instead of demand their rights. Now, think about this. I want you to think about this. All of you that are watching us, listen. If you're having trouble in your marriage right now, I want you to ask yourself, how much of is it about you not getting your needs met versus you sacrificing for the other person? I want you to think about that. Now, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about putting up with abuse. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just general day-to-day, I don't like you right now. And I may not like you later either. <laughs> Amen? All right, so relational love. All right, third one, loving the lost and the hurting. Some people, listen to me, 
Some people skip one and two and go right to three. They love the hurting and loss, but they don't love people that they have to be in relationship with, and they certainly don't love themselves. And sometimes they're doing a lot of stuff out of justice, social justice issues that are just trying to make themselves feel better instead of really loving from the flow of God. (sighs) Jesus built this following by doing miracles. And instead of making the story all about him, he turned his attention to those who were hurting and those who were lost. It's unlike anything we've ever seen before. No human had ever seen this before because anybody that had the miracles that Jesus had could have easily set up a kingdom here on the earth for all his followers to just give him daily offerings by by the miracle. Sow your seed to get a healing or sow your seed to get a prophecy. Anytime you see that, this is your pastor, run from that. Agreed? That's just a bunch of hooey. That's all that is. That's just a bunch of charlatans on the internet or on TV trying to get money from you. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Jesus, when he had all the attention on him, where he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, gave up all of that and stooped down and ministered to the lost and the hurting. He looked the prostitute right in the eye. He looked the the beggar, the, the lame, the leper, the, the person who was in prison, the person who was cast away. He looked them right in the eye and he said, I value you. I love you as much as I love the wealthy person or the person that looks like me or the person that acts you know, nice to me. I love you. There was one word that described this, this thing about Jesus. It's called compassion. And we could use a little more of that. I looked up this word compassion. It means Sorrow for the distress and misfortune of another with a desire to help. That's all it is. You see the needs of humanity and you want to help. Come is with, passes suffering. You suffer with someone. You allow yourself. You've heard me say this about racial reconciliation. I allow myself to feel the pain of black America and what they're going through. I allow myself to feel the pain of immigrants that are coming in from other countries. I allow myself to feel the pain instead of just judging and throwing out my comments. I will, well, let me, let me get into their life. Let me find out what they're all about. Let me feel their pain so that I can have compassion instead of judgment. We got a lot of judgment flowing around out there. Listen to this. From Christians. Way too many Christians throwing their judgment out there instead of Compassion. You don't know what other people have gone through. How could you sit there and just declare what they need to do with themselves? Are you following me? All right, here's Matthew 9. Here's what it says. Verse 36. When he saw the vast crowds of people, his heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. This is how Jesus sees people right now. This is how he sees people right now. When he looks out at all that's happening right now, he, 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 at the world, he sees people through the eyes of compassion. It really bothers me. It really bothers me. Listen to me, online crowd. Listen to me. It really bothers me when I see people in the church just spewing out judgments and critical statements and posting things that divide people and then go, in the name of Jesus... 
when they've never even dirtied their hands with the plight of the poor, with the plight of the hurting, with the plight of the immigrant, with the plight of anybody that's going through trouble. It's easy to sit back in the lazy boy of life, watching the news play out, which always reflects the worst of America, and then form your opinions based on the news instead of on the Bible and what Jesus tells us to do. Amen? This is why I believe we're... I, I, I believe this. We're entering into one of the most, the greatest opportunities the church has ever had in its life. We are entering into this unbelievable moment with all this bitterness and spewing and hatred and division and all this tension. The church to enter right into the middle of this and just reflect the love of God to a lost and a dying world. You and I have an opportunity to make a difference here. And then finally... And I don't have time to get into whole, all this very deeply, but the final stage of loving and the de- development of love, and this is what I'm hoping that all of us get to at some point, is loving your enemies. <sighs> now, we all say that. Oh, yes. Love my enemy. Now, how many of you know that's not easy to do? I would, I would venture to say that most of us that are watching right now, most of us that are here, even here, have enemies. Most of us, we might not focus on them all the time, but we have enemies. And they can crop up any moment, any day, they can crop up in anything. And our response to enemies, I would just venture to say, most of the time is not biblical. Most of the time we feel like, I have the right, I have the right to be offended. And what I've learned as a Christian that of all the rights that I have, the one right I don't have, listen to me carefully, or the one right I have to give up, if I'm going to reflect Christ, now check this out, is the right to be offended. I'm going to get offended, but I don't have the right to hang on to it. As a Christian, I give up that right because of love. Because of love. I I give up that right. Even though I want and I need and I have and I have, I've got to give it up. I've got to give it up. Now, I'm I'm just thinking back to the civil rights era. Can you imagine what it must have been like for black people that are getting beaten by white people? How did they overcome that to go on to become representatives in the the United States government or or, or icon leaders like Martin Luther? How How did they do that? How do you take beatings and scourgings and mockings and all kinds of stuff the same way Jesus did it? Not too easy, though, is it? All right, so Jesus, man, Jesus, he has, we always have to bring Jesus in the middle of all this. If we just hadn't have Jesus, we could just fuel and flame and do whatever we wanted to do. But here's what it says in Matthew 5, 44. However, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. And do something wonderful for the one who hates me? What? Have you ever ever read the Bible? What? That is not, no, no, no. Can't be doing that. And respond to the very one, to the very one who persecutes you by praying for them. I hear people all the time, I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for that leader. I'm praying for this. You are not. 
You're praying. You're not praying. You're not praying to God. You're praying that you're, God. Ah, get them. Take them out of office. Do something. That's how you're praying. Deliver us from evil. All right. For look, for that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. You're going to be known by your love. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh whether a person does what is good or evil. What reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that? How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? Since you are children of a perfect Father in heaven, you are, per- you are to be perfect like him. All right, let me wrap this up. I don't have much more time, so let me just wrap this up. I've already gone way over my time. But I haven't preached for you in four months live, and I am just... I know. We, so online viewers, you, under, you just have to give me a little grace this weekend because when I'm preaching to a camera, I can just go right through the notes. I don't have any feeling. I'm not even getting any feedback, and it doesn't egg me on a little bit. When people are in the room, it changes the dynamic of this message. And that's why, the, that's why we need to be in the room sometimes. So that's why we need to sometimes be in the room. Not that everybody needs to be in the room right now, but that's why sometimes we need, I need people in the room. Okay. All right. Here's what I know. Now, check this out. This is my last statement. This is what I know about the greater love. You have to have self-love. You have to have relational love. You have to have a love for the lost and hurting. But to love your enemies, you have to have this revelation. And this, this happened to me when I was in Bible school in 1987. I'm sitting in a class, just kind of minding my own business. Cooper Beatty, who was our teacher, was teaching us about love. It was the, the whole thing was out of 1 John. He was teaching the, the book of 1 John. And he made this statement that rocked my world. And here's what he said. He said, your love for God can be measured by the person you love the least. And I sat there and I thought, nah, <laughs> no way. I love God. But there's some people I don't love. Hello? Come on. Is that, is that not true? I love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. But there's people. There's people. Why don't you have to add that second commandment? Could we just leave it at the first one, which is where most Christians live? The second one's the hard one. The first one's easy. Love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. But loving people as much as I love others. Now, this thing is, this is not easy. So he says, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures. 1 John chapter 4, here's what he said. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. Now, here, here's what I know. Before I even go any further, here's what I know. It goes through some of your mind. Yeah, but they aren't my brother. They aren't my sister. Every human being is your brother and sister. Every human being. That's the context of this verse. We're all born from one blood. We are all intricately related, connected, down through the history of mankind, through the blood of Adam, and now through the blood of Jesus. Once you get born again, you are now intricately responsible to love every person regardless of whether they love you back or not. <clears throat> whom they, he says, for whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother 
and sister. Let me pray with you today because I believe that this greater love, man, if we start to get this thing down, it will absolutely, it will absolutely transform our lives. So if you're watching us online right now, maybe you've been struggling with loving somebody. Maybe you say, you know, I'm, I'm probably not even in phase one yet. I need to love my, I need to let God love me so I can love myself enough to love other people. Maybe you're struggling with relational love right now. You're struggling with loving a person that you're close to. Maybe you're struggling with loving lost people, hurting people, people who are of different political opinions than you, people who are different races than you. Maybe you're struggling with just an enemy. Just somebody who you, he just don't, they just don't like you. And you still have to walk in love. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Let's just take a Selah with God. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come. And just make a deposit down inside of us. The Word's been deposited down inside of us to transform us. And Father, I'm praying for everyone that's watching us around the city, around the country, around the other nations, right now watching us right here in this room. This greater love that we're talking about here becomes a part of our lives. Would you help us now to just take a moment and humble ourselves? Just admit that we have a need to grow in this area. That we have a need to, to let go of all the bitterness, the clamor, the strife, the prejudice, the tension, the anger, all those things. Just let it go right now. Put it on the cross. Let it be part of what's nailed to the cross in our life right now, Jesus. And just invite the heart of Jesus back into ourselves right now, back into our hearts, into our love for people like you love them, Lord. My prayer is that every person that's participating in our services this weekend is starting their journey right now toward this greater love. We're not all there. We're not arrived. But from this day forward, God, help us to make this a, a real target for our heart, to get free from all the fray tries to distract us and dissuade us from loving people the way you love them, Lord. And we just love you. Let's just lift our hands in our homes. Lift our hands wherever we're watching this. Lift our hands in our sanctuary right here. Just lift our hands to you, Lord. We just release our faith. But faith doesn't work without love, God. And so would you just begin to do that inside of us? Deliver us from all this stuff that's inside of us that's not of God, God. Just begin to do a work, a supernatural Holy Spirit work inside of us that delivers us from all the bitterness, all the anger, all the clamor, all that stuff and replaces it with you, Jesus. You're the center of our life right now. We focus our life around you. As we go forward into this uncertain world that we're living in, help us to remind ourselves every day, every day, God, that the greater love lives inside of us. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give God all the praise.